United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. The world is trying to figure out exactly how it deals with Libya. This was um, ever since the death of Muammar Gaddafi and the U.S.-NATO decision to take out the leader. It's been a problem, and it does not seem like we are any closer to a solution. Um, Events have been getting more complicated with different European countries backing different governments to make sense of it, and it's an important issue because it does go to U.S. security and, of course, the security of the region. We turn now to Thomas Hill, Thomas Hill, Senior Program Officer for North Africa at the United States Institute of Peace. He is tweeting at S-E-A-T-O-D-C-A. Thomas Hill, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So, first of all, the Berlin Conference. Talk, tell us what we need to know about that. So the Berlin Conference has been in the works for months. It was uh, the UN and others' attempt to bring the Germans into the discussion about Libya. The Germans had been on the sidelines And they were perceived as the most likely broker capable of bringing the international combatants, that would be Italy, France, Russia, the UAE, Egypt, other interested parties, to the table to talk about ways that they might remove themselves from the Libyan conflict. Given that the U.S. has taken a step back from Libya, Germany was the, 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 I guess, second choice um, to hold this. Uh, It took quite a while to bring all the people together in Berlin. There were lots of start, starts and stops. The UN was a kind of silent partner uh, to the German government, government in putting this together. Um, and I think many people had very low expectations of what would happen in Germany and what would, what would come out of it. And um, it remains to be seen if anything that was agreed to in Berlin will hold, but there's probably something in the Berlin conference for both pessimists and optimists. It sounded like you were, though, saying that this gentleman's agreement they came up with, if the expectations were low, they were pretty well met. Yeah, um, I think a, a optimistic view of, of the conference would say, well, that there was a gentleman's agreement between the external actors uh, to no longer provide arms, to disarm the militias, and to abide by the terms of the U.N. arms embargo and then they were going to set up or help support a um, a military commission where the the two main parties confl- the two main Libyan parties who are fighting right now uh, would come together to talk about ways to make the ceasefire hold long term. But all of this is not written down and signed and committed to by any of the parties. It is a handshake agreement. I think most people would say this is. It, magical thinking if the if the if the belief is that somehow this is going to translate into a a stable peace going forward this is tenuous at best thomas hill with a senior program officer for north africa at the united states institute of peace there was as you noted and have noted some positives from this including the fact that we saw in attendance secretary of state mike pompeo and the field marshal khalifa haftar who is one of the people who would like to be in control of Libya. The fact that they were there was good. On the other hand, you also note that there were regional states that are important in moving forward here. Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco weren't there. Egypt was there. But there seems to be an underrepresentation of some of the parties that would be important in making this work. Yeah, that was a, a consistent criticism leading up to Berlin was that, um, that the, the groups being assembled around the table were many of the bigger hitters or the more um, 
advanced countries, if you think about France, Italy, et cetera, but that the real countries with skin in the game in terms of whether instability in Libya affects them directly were not invited. So as you mentioned, Tunisia, which borders Libya and has significant um, numbers of Libyans living in Tunisia, Algeria, same thing. Um, they were not invited, and, and observers were perplexed as to why why you would hold a conference and not invite the neighboring states. Uh, it seemed odd. More importantly, um, the the Germans initially didn't even have the Libyans on the invite list. So uh, that all, I think, raises a lot of eyebrows among watchers of why you would have a conference about Libya and invite no Libyans. Now, eventually, the um, the two main figureheads of the of the warring factions in, in Libya were invited, but for many Libyans, that was insufficient because the, the belief that this is uh, two men or two sides fighting each other is a gross sim- oversimplification of what's going on in Libya right now. There are many, many factions and many, many interests and many, many uh, different groups who need to be at the table for a resolution to this conflict to be permanent and, reducing it just to two men and two sides is, I think, a a, a very myopic way of looking at this conflict. And it shows, I I think, a a flawed approach to how you would want to do a peace conference if you intended for that peace conference to actually work. So, Thomas Hill, you say it's kind of a win for the fact that Germany did follow through on putting this together. The U.N. did get a little bit of uh, nice afterglow, if you will, just reflected glory on this taking place, even though they didn't make this happen, but they they were involved. The question is, what happens now? I mean, does this do? Do you look to Germany again? Do you look to the United Nations to follow through in this process, or is the United States to get involved? What do What do we need to know about what next steps should take place? So the the gentlemen's agreement that came out of Berlin has now been kicked to the UN Security Council. Uh, the expectation is that they'll turn that into a resolution, which of course has uh, very little teeth. Um, there are numerous UN resolutions saying that states should not be providing arms or weapons to groups inside Libya, and there, all these resolutions are being violated, and there's no repercussions for it. So, um, I think the the that's the immediate next step. Now, my suspicion is that the the Germans have no desire to enmesh themselves in the Libyan conflict any deeper than they already have, and maybe this is all they'll ever do. So, uh, I wouldn't be looking to Berlin. As a as a leader on the the path to resolution of the Libyan conflict, maybe this kickstarts the UN um, as a more as an honest broker in the conflict. Their reputation had been severely damaged by the um, inability to to negotiate a ceasefire or negotiate any political movement since really 2015. So maybe this kind of invigorates that effort, and the UN is 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 put back in a driver's seat position to try and bring the combatants to the table. Um, But I wouldn't hold my breath for the U.S. or any other um, quote-unquote neutral party uh, to kind of take over and and advance the ball any further. I I suspect this is a blip um, rather than um, a new trajectory. That is interesting information, and of course we'll keep up to date with it. Thomas Hill, thank you for joining us on POTUS today. Thank you for having me. Thomas Hill is Senior Program Officer for North Africa at the USIP United States Institute of Peace, the recent Berlin conference. What came out of it, the future of Libya still to be determined, as is the case with so many global hotspots, and that's one of them. 
The Twitter handle for Thomas, by the way, you can go to at USIP or at S-E-A-T-O-D-C-A at C dot C-A. C-Todd, S-E-A-T-O-D-C. There we go. Got it right. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.